Welcome to the South Everett Foursquare podcast. This is Pastor Chris Pepler, and you have joined us for our seven I Am Statements of Jesus series as found in the Gospel of John. We've also included a portion of our worship service this morning. Thanks so much for being with us, and we hope to see you soon. I've carried a burden for too long on my I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. I see it now. I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. I run. My soul needs a friend, 
So I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Whoa.
So Chris Norby needs no introduction. He's up here all the time, but it is that he is just a servant of Jesus, and he works so diligently um, in, in his job. He, he's, he's an executive with the Boeing company just up the road and does a magnificent job every week of just shepherding people in his vocational space and being the presence of Jesus with those who know Jesus and those who don't. But that is a missional assignment that God has given Chris. And oftentimes we think about Chris, and I hear from other people uh, about how great it is that we as a congregation have Chris Norby leading us in worship. Because he does more than just sing or play guitar. He leads us into the throne room of Jesus week after week. And he's known uh, by many people within the Foursquare Network over the years. And they're just like, wow, Chris. And often they say, and rightfully so, he has a voice like an angel. He just can sing and he, he projects and it's a beautiful thing to just hear. And I was thinking this morning about Chris, about how he sings and his voice is a beautiful gift from God. That That isn't ultimately the foundation. The foundation underneath all of that, not just the voice, uh, but it is the ear to hear the Lord. And it's, it's a resolve to pray, to hear God and to pray to God. And everything that comes on a Sunday um, is the outcome of what is at the foundation of that. And I thank you for your obedience and going to Jesus and still in the quiet places. But I just thought that was really interesting in light of what Nessa shared with us this morning, that the word heart has the word ear in it in English. And the word uh, corazón, heart, in Spanish has the word ora, or prayer. And that is at the heart of who Chris is, is one who hears and one who prays. And out of that foundation, he will come and share with us this morning. So just give a hand for Chris and welcome him today. Uh, thank you, Chris and Danessa and Brian, for leading us in worship this morning. We, uh, we just, in preparation for today, whether that was me in teaching or them in leading worship or uh, just even in our pre-service prayer, we all had a desire today that we would surrender our hearts to the Lord and open our hearts to the Lord. Uh, Justin uh, Westmoreland, as we were praying, actually heard from the Lord the word rend or rendering. Uh, which actually means to tear open or to tear apart or to separate. Um, and so our desire, right, is that God would actually touch, move, change our hearts. That miracle when he takes a heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh and moves it to walk in his ways. That's actually the promise, to take the heart of stone, to make it flesh, and then to move it to walk in his ways. And that's worship. Worship isn't a song. Worship is a recognition that turns into response. It is when I recognize that he's the great I am and I respond with praise. It's when I recognize that he's a provider and I respond with generosity. It's when I recognize that he's a protector and I respond with justice. When we recognize and it turns into response, it is worship. And we are meant to be worshipers. Amen. We are meant to recognize and stand in awe of who God is. And then for that to entirely direct the response of our lives. And isn't it convicting to hear that? Isn't it convicting to hear that that's who we are to be? People that stand in awe of God and then entirely respond out of that position. Because I know my heart isn't that devoted. 
So God, would you rend my heart? Would you make it yours? And would you move me to walk in your ways? Let's continue with worship in this teaching. And, and what I mean by that is, let's not just enjoy a message and learn a few things, but let's recognize what the Lord has to say to us about himself, and let's figure out how to respond to that in our lives, which is really the whole premise of this, this series when we study the I am st- statements. May a greater understanding of the I am change who I am. Because he is, I am. Because he is, I am. Because he is, I am. What we know about Jesus and what we know the Father sent him to do helps us to know who we are and what the Father has sent us to do. So we're studying the seven I am statements, and we're talking about identity and purpose. Recall uh, Chris started us off very first to say, purpose flows out of identity. You don't rush to purpose. You start with identity. Identity comes first, and purpose comes next. And we understand our identity in light of who Jesus is. And so we look, uh, we look to understand him, and we're using the vehicle of the seven I am statements in the book of John. We learned that these seven I am statements correspond with also seven great miracles that are recorded in the book of John. That even in, ten- in terms of the immediate audience, this book... Uh, was delivered to, it responded to both head and heart to people that wanted to discuss and people wanted who, to witness or see the show me and the tell me crowds of people. Uh, Jesus was working uh, to talk to both and would he talk to both this morning. And so we've talked about I am the bread of life. We've talked about I am the light of the world. And today we will talk about I am the gate. And I am the gate will be followed with, I am the good shepherd. And uh, we'll talk a little bit this morning about how linked those two are. Uh, But I will try not to take your whole message for next week, Lauren. Actually, we're only going to cover the first half of chapter 10. Lauren's probably going to, my guess, is spend more time in the back half of chapter 10. I don't know that for sure. Um, But we're also going to talk a little bit about chapter 9. And so I want to talk a little bit about what happens in chapter 9. I'm not going to read the whole of chapter 9. We'll, we'll read our passage from chapter 10 today. But chapter 9 is one of those healings. So remember, seven I am statements go with seven miraculous signs or healings. And actually, the healings come a little ahead of the I am statements. So while we're on the third I am statement, uh, it's preceded by the sixth miraculous healing. And so this story might have some free familiarity to folks. Jesus and the disciples are walking by a man who has been blind since birth. The disciples ask Jesus, why do you think this man is blind? Is it because his parents sinned? Is it because of his sin? And Jesus responds in a way that's quite convicting to us. No, it is actually so that I may be glorified or the son may be glorified. Reminding us that that the Lord uses pain. The Lord uses difficulty. It's not always just something to overcome. It is something that he works through uh, sometimes as well. And so Jesus actually then stops to heal this man to show his glory. He takes mud. Now this is probably starting to really sound like one of those ones you learned in, 
in your Bible in your vacation Bible school or something. He takes the mud, puts it on the man's eyes, and asks the man to go down to the river to wash his eyes, and he can see. And this is fantastic, except for one thing. It happened on the Sabbath. <laughs> bad, bad news. And so this actually starts quite a kerfluffle uh, among the people, uh, because it. People can't help but notice when a man who's been blind since birth can suddenly see. And so they begin to interrogate him. They begin to interrogate his parents. And we have really a great story. So this is your homework assignment. Try and read chapter 9 tonight. There's some really good dialogue, some good back and forth, some verbal jabs. Like, how is it that I know this and you don't know this? It's really, there's some really great exchange. But essentially, they're interrogating the man who's been healed. Uh, and his only testimony is, I was blind, but now I can see. He doesn't try to get too into it. He goes, I was blind, and now I can see, and that's the man who did it. That's all I can tell you, but that's enough for me. That's kind of the position and the posture he takes. The response that the Pharisees take is, you're a sinner, and you've been a sinner since birth. And you were working on the Sabbath, and so was he, which is just further evidence that you're a sinner. And they actually throw him out of the synagogue. So think about this. This man has met the Lord, been cured of blindness and is rejoicing, and because of that, he is thrown out of the synagogue. And then the, there's a dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees and Jesus and the man. So we see Jesus, in follow-up, address the man who's just been thrown out, and we see Jesus address the Pharisees who have done so. And as we get to chapter 10, and he says, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd, he is talking to those Pharisees on the heels of that miracle and on the heels of them throwing that man out of the synagogue. If you hear this exchange uh, kind of succinctly captured in John 9, 35 through 41, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man, who he is? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and that those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is how nine ends. Right as we get into, I am the good shepherd. And I am the gate. Same people he's talking to. Same moment. And so I want you to consider for just a second as we head towards, I am the gate. What kind of open and closed doors do we see in chapter 9? What kind of open and closed doors does the man who is blind see? Or depict or demonstrate? What kind of open and closed doors do the Pharisees see and demonstrate? What kind of open and closed doors does Jesus demonstrate? Just kind of pause. I'm just going to literally pause for a moment and just kind of latch a few of those examples in your mind.
Now we're going to move into chapter 10. It would be like a read the next line down in your Bible or turn the page. If you haven't got your Bibles open, why don't you now? We're going to go to John chapter 10. We're going to read verse 1 through 10. I think we'll have it up on the uh, screen. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So let's break it down. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Here's our third I am statement. I am the gate. And it comes in this context of a healing where a man's been healed and the Pharisees have responded uh, by throwing him out of the synagogue. It, It comes in the context of Jesus addressing those same Pharisees. And as he says it, he shares it in the context of a metaphor, right? It's a picture. I am the gate. He's painting a very clear picture. And what is that picture? It's a sheep pen. So there's a sheep pen, and there's a shepherd, and there's a gate. And who is Jesus? He is the gate. He is also the shepherd. And here's what gets really confusing. He also was a lamb. So in this story, we're the sheep, right? We're the sheep, he's the gate, he's the shepherd, and he'll get into that. But what I think helps us understand Jesus' identity as the gate is to recall the fact that he also became a lamb. So John chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, Look, right? Behold, the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So this gets really confusing because we've got a metaphor and Jesus is a sheep and he's a shepherd and he's a gate. And it kind of reminds me that he is everything. You know, we want to sometimes put ourselves at the center of the story. And who is at the center of this story? Jesus. Jesus is the whole story. So when we think of Jesus is the gate, I think it's helpful to remember that he was also the Passover lamb. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins. So when we talk about the Passover, let's recall a little bit of what the Passover was, right? So there's in Egypt, the Jews or the Israelites are looking to get out of slavery and to find independence. And there's a series of judgments coming upon the Egyptian people to essentially compel them to let the Israelites go. 
And there's a series of escalating judgments. And when we get to that final judgment, does anyone recall what the final judgment was? It was the killing of the firstborn child. And there's a provision made or a protection made to protect against that judgment. And that provision or that protection is to sacrifice a perfect lamb and to take the blood of that perfect lamb and to put it upon your doorframe. You put it on the top, you put it on the sides. And whoever would come through that doorframe under that blood and rest in that house would be would avoid such judgment. So when we think of Jesus as our gate, let's remember that on the cross he became the Passover lamb. So that now as we enter through Jesus, it's like entering under that door. And we we are saved. Now what I think is crazy cool about this, I just I I can't compel this to mean something to you, but the Lord can. Like, as I reflected on this this week, I think three separate times, even in crowded gyms with basketballs dribbling everywhere, as my son was practicing and I was studying, like at three separate times, this almost brought me to tears. To just think about the ridiculous grace expressed to us in Jesus and this incredible great exchange. Because we were sheep, and we were lost, he became a lamb. Because our judgment, or our, yeah, our judgment was the the death of a firstborn son. God sent Jesus to die. He took our judgment, he took our place, so that he could become a gate for us to salvation, a gate to life, a gate to the Father. It's all him. It's all him. And the fact that he from on high came down to become man and then to take our judgment upon the cross to die and to resurrect that we might have now a path or a gate to heaven, a gate to to life, a gate to the Father. Lord, would you help that gospel to reach our hearts and to be the saving good news that it is. You are the gate. You are the sacrifice. The Passover lamb. Praise your name. He took on our identity. He bore our judgment. All so that we could take on his identity and receive his reward. So what do we walk through when we walk through that gate? We walk into his presence. We walk into his righteousness. We walk into his reward. But without him, without the gate, We're either stuck inside a brick wall or we're stuck outside of a promised land. We have no hope if not for Jesus. Now, I want to also pause to recognize that this story also includes a few cautions. So it includes the good news, but it includes a few cautions. 
There's one good shepherd, but it actually says there might be many false teachers, robbers, or thieves that might come to try and attract the sheep. You know, in life there are many alternate voices, theories, theologies, philosophies, approaches, or values. But there's one that leads to life. And so would we distinguish between the two? Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And as his people, would we hear his voice, would we be able to distinguish so that we would choose that one right way? But as I was thinking about that caution, it kind of got more personal to me for just a second, which said, as I start to transfer from who he is to what I am and what I should do, I don't want to be a robber. I don't want to be a thief. Now, what does Jesus say about the thief and the robber? They don't come through the gate, do they? They try to go over the wall. So when I'm out there engaging the world, when I'm trying to help someone that's going through a tough time, what's the key for me to engage that person in a good way versus being a thief or a robber? I have to come through the gate. I have to speak from the Lord's wisdom, not from my own. And it reminded me to be aware of those words, well, in my opinion. Lauren, let me tell you a few things about marriage. <laughs> well, in my opinion, do you, see, do you see how this can get off track real quick? When, when we're out there engaging the world, we really don't want to be those, those robbers, those thieves, jumping over the wall, bringing something that sounds right, but in the end leads to death. We want to be walking through the gate. And we want to be sharing the Lord's opinion, not our own. And so just pause for that caution for a minute as we turn towards application or observation. So as I thought about I am the gate, I am the door, I did a pause that I want you to now do. Close your eyes. Jesus says, I am the gate, or depending on your translation, I am the door. I want you to picture that gate. I want you to picture that door. And I want to ask you a question now. Is it open or is it closed? Go ahead and open your eyes. The gate to the sheep pen was actually an open gate. The gate to the blind man was actually an open gate. So application or observation number one, is the gate open or closed? It is open. Who actually stands in the gate? The shepherd, right? Like it's not the door that blocks people. It's the shepherd that blocks, the shepherd that stands in the way of obstacles. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about sacrifice. But think of this in light of chapter nine. Were those doors all open or were they closed? Were the Pharisees' doors open? Or were they closed? Was the blind man door open or closed? Was Jesus' door open or closed? The Pharisees slammed the door, but Jesus offered an open one. And in light of that, I think I want to ask us 
what do we want to be? Open or closed? Do we want to be available or busy? Do we want to be accessible or distant? Do we want to be open-minded and listen or defensive and speaking? Because he is the gate. I am open, not closed. John three seventeen, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So if Jesus didn't come to condemn, do we? We're not here to condemn or to close the door. Rather, we're here to invite people to an open one. Observation or application number two. It takes sacrifice to be a gate. In other words, you've got to have skin in the game. So think about that shepherd blocking that door. He's not standing behind a big piece of wood when the wolf comes. He's standing in the way of the wolf. John 10, 12 through 15 says it like this. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. But I'm the good shepherd, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. It takes sacrifice to be a gate. And of course, Jesus did the ultimate sacrifice for us. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. So if he, if who he is changes who I am, because he is the gate, I will lay down my rights. I will lay down my life for others. Can someone read out loud 1 John 3.16 for us? Just raise your hand who it's going to be. So I can bring a microphone over. All right, Justin's got 1 John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 1 John 3.16. That one's good, too. That one's good, too. So, so, So just... Let's, let's do this. As he flips there, because he is, John 3.16, because who he is, 3.16, I am, 1 John 3.16. I didn't mean for that. <laughs> I've, I've got it. Here we go. I'll go ahead. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So because he is a gate, I will lay down my rights, even my life, for others. Observation or application number three. What's he a gate to? He's a door to the Father. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's a door to salvation. Right? I am the gate. Apart. This is how you get saved. 
And he's a door to community. Consider when you come in through the gate, you join a flock. This was part of my story and my testimony. My faith came alive in high school. Middle school, I went to church. My parents taught Sunday school class. Um, I would have said I believed in Jesus. I think I had already been baptized once. I ended up getting rebaptized because I just wanted it to be something I understood a little bit later. But um, uh, I, I didn't really have a relationship with the Lord. And socially, I was mocked a lot. My middle school had national beat up Norby Day. Somebody paid people food to come up and punch me. Um, I have a recollection of walking down the hallway and one of my best friends running up behind my back to knock my books down in front of every single person to try and look cool. I had a real rough go at middle school. And so in high school, I transferred uh, so that I wouldn't go to the one I was supposed to. I was kind of looking for a new scene. And I transferred over here to Cascade High, uh, just uh, down the street. You could walk to it from here if you wanted. And I didn't know anyone except for uh, one of my friends from my neighborhood down the street was a senior. I was a freshman. One of my friends down the street was a senior at Cascade High and went to the same church as me and pulled me in to a flock. Mm. Let me, the little freshman, hang out with them as they went and did cool things and drove around and did cool things. He drove me to school every day. Uh, listening to Jars of Clay in his giant Oldsmobile. Uh, and, and it was in that flock that I grew to really have a relationship with the Lord. It took a senior not being too cool to welcome a freshman. He had to be an open gate for me to grow into a community and to grow with the Lord. Because he is a gate for us to the Father, I am a gate for others to Jesus. Because he is a gate for salvation, protection, and life, I am a seeker of justice, a defender of the weak, and a doer of good for others. Because he is a gate to community, I am generous with relationship will you be open to those in need will you be open for those that need to know the Lord for those that need help and mercy and protection will you be open for those who need community I'm thankful that God places the lonely in families Psalm 68 6 I'm thankful that God calls us as worshipers to practice justice and mercy because he is a gate because he is a gate final observation he is both more exclusive and inclusive than we are comfortable with yeah. That's good. there's only one way Ooh. but it's for everyone Ooh. both of those things sit a little uncomfortable and as we go through talking about or reflecting this a little bit, I'd like you to pause and think about which one you're a little more uncomfortable with than the other and to process that later with Jesus. So I've been thinking about the exclusivity and inclusivity of Jesus. And, and as I started to just like write it out on paper, I started to recognize how upside down and backward it was from the ways we use the terms 
in regular culture. So you see the same word used in different ways. Exclusive. Exclusive is a word we really like, like an exclusive sale. Ooh, that's good news. An inclusive club. I mean, exclusive club, uh, exclusive offer, a private event, something just for us. It makes us feel special, right? When it's just for us. Like the gospel? Does it make us feel special when it's just for us? When we start to use the exclusivity of the gospel in the wrong way, it becomes a platform of pride instead of a bridge of grace. Inclusivity is a word we love. We love to involve people, to accept people, to integrate people. But we, we then take the next step and we think any way, any truth, any perspective is okay. Like, live your truth. Just be a good person. You be you. And the subtlety here is that if somehow our very best life or identity is found in ourselves instead of found in Christ. But Jesus takes these two words and he moves them diagonally in these opposite directions if you see on the chart. Exclusive, there's only one way. Anyone who doesn't come through the gates a robber, a thief. There is one way, and it's through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he'll later say. Uh, and someone will talk about in a later week. And at the same time, it's available and accessible to, to people that we don't think it should be available and accessible to. So it's by far more exclusive than we like. And it's also more exclusive and it's more inclusive than we're comfortable with. And which of these parts are you more vulnerable to? I'll just posit that I think we all sit somewhere different in the spectrum of being agents of truth and grace. Some of us are a little uncomfortable with the fact that there's one singular way and truth. And some of us are a little uncomfortable that God's grace extends to people with such checkered past presence. <laughs> past or presence. And this becomes really important when we step outside of this room and we try to be uh, we try to be gates. This becomes really important. Because if we're a gate that's not exclusive, are we actually leading people to Christ? Like when I talk, when I talk to all my friends of different faith or coworkers of different faith, and all we talk is in generalities and platitudes, I may have, I may have helped them feel comfortable with me, but did I lead them to the Father? And at the same time, when I get out there and there's whole groups of people I avoid talking to because I'm just uncomfortable talking to them or because they seem a little bit too far off, this stuff comes into play the second we stand up, get outside the door. Because he is the gate, I am grace and truth. And I really struggled writing those words. Because he is grace and truth. I really struggle to be grace and truth. I like oscillate. But because he is, I am. I want to be. God, would you make me grace and truth? And the thing with this is, it costs Jesus a whole lot to be exclusive and inclusive. It cost him a whole lot. Got him rejected by everybody. 
and it'll probably have the same impact for you. John 15, 20 says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. But I would ask us to reflect on this. God, may your perfect love cast out our fear. Because he is the gate. We can be grace and truth. So Jesus is our good shepherd. He's also our Passover lamb. And he is the gate. And because he is the gate, I am open, not closed. Because he is the gate, I will lay down my rights, even my life for others. Because he is the gate, I am a gate for others to Jesus. Because he is the gate, I'm a seeker of justice, defender of the weak, and doer of good for others. Because he is the gate, I am generous with relationship. Because he is the gate, I am grace and truth. So Lord, if you are calling us toward yourself, would we walk through the gate? Would we join your flock? Would we be your people? And would you lead us into life? And God, if as your flock and as your people, you are convicting us because of who you are about who we should be and what we should do. Lord, would you lead us into obedience? Lord, would we follow? Um, I don't think we're going to have time to break into groups and to discuss and pray. So I will leave you with these discussion questions as something you can reflect on beyond just reading chapter 9 this week. Has someone's open or closed door ever had a major impact on your life? That might be a fun thing to talk with people about after the service. Second, what do you find most radical and wonderful about the good news that Jesus is the gate? And third, which because he is I am statement are you feeling called further toward? And are there any specific applications? I'll just share real quickly that the one I am feeling more and more called to is being open in the form of being available and accessible. I do not have a lot of time for people. And if I think of Jesus and how he stopped at the gate, to heal the blind man, I think of how many people I walk right past. And I want to make more space and more time for people because he is the gate. I am open and not closed. Thank you, everyone.